the reading of the scriptures from Genesis 13, reading the entire chapter from verse 1 to verse 18. May the Lord of the Word give us uh, grace both to read and to hear in faith uh, His Word. From Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do bow our heads again to you in worship, adoration, praise. You are our great God and greatly to be praised. And worthy of all thanksgiving for all that you have done for us bringing us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your Son, the kingdom of light, and he who is our great Redeemer and King. Oh, we worship the Son as well, and we are thankful to him for all that he has done to secure our salvation, <clears throat> both in his life, in his death, in his resurrection and ascension to glory. We're thankful as well for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the giver of new life, <clears throat> pouring into our hearts the very love of God and guiding us in the paths of righteousness. Thank you for our daily bread, a measure which we have returned in offering to you. Bless it for the advancement of the kingdom and for the welfare of others in need. 
We ask that you remember those who are not with us today by reason of travel or age, infirmity or illness, to be near to them, to bless them uh, for the sick, bless all that's being done for the health of their body. We pray as well with their uh, physical needs as as well with their soul. Bless our homes, our children, our grandchildren. We desire to see them become mighty in faith and walking in the truth. Uh, protect us from the dangers of the world, particularly the spiritual dangers and deception that abound. Bless us as a congregation in all that we do, in worship, in love to one another, uh, and to bear witness to a world that Christ is our King. Beyond all these, you know our needs. We all have come with various distresses and concerns. Minister to them as you see best for our welfare and your glory. Father, your word is firmly fixed forever in the heavens. Bless your word to us. I'm reminded also, bless uh, the hoax. Uh, bless their ministry. We are grateful to be a part of it and to be with them in their ministry in Uganda. So bless them and also now bless your word to us. May it make us wise unto salvation and skilled for living in a fallen world. But we entrust our care to you, our great keeper. All these things we pray in the name of the Son. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. To begin, uh, let me uh, uh, have Tim and Cherry Hope come before us. Just want to uh, ask them to speak to you about what they're going to do this evening. Uh, certainly invite you to come back at 6 p.m. to hear, hear about our ministry on the continent of Africa, and in particular the uh, country of Uganda. Um, so, um, uh, Cherry, let me give the microphone to you, and you can begin, and then hand it to your uh, your husband. Wow. <laughs> How about that? <clears throat> Just want to tell you how much we love you guys. This is our home away from home. We've been going to Uganda for 15 years, and you've been with us every step, so we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for praying last year for my class on narratology. And for those of you who do not know what narratology is, neither do I. <laughs> but I had to learn. Um, it went well. And then this year I'll be teaching an advanced reading course, making that so exciting and interesting for freshman students to get them ready for college-level reading. <clears throat> I'll also be teaching a parenting a biblical parenting class, and a biblical womanhood class. I think I have my own. <laughs> you can give that back to the boss. Um, we leave, uh, Phil has already said this, but please come back 6 p.m. Uh, we'll be talking, hopefully the video part will work tonight. If it doesn't, then I have a lot of stuff to say about Upoki and maybe a few more things about African Bible University. But as Cherry said, we've been there 15 years, and we go back in one month, and um, we are very excited to go back and teach this semester. I'll be teaching systematic theology again with uh, using Louis Burkhoff as the, fun, the basic uh, textbook. Um, also, I'll be teaching synop synoptic gospels, which uh, is a lot of territory to cover in one semester, but it's a real joy. And then um, Daniel Revelation, which I've taught for a number of years and now. And so I, that, that's been a real blessing to finally, I think I understand the book of Revelation finally in my latter years. And then a new course, 
I've never taught. I'm on the one hand scared to death and on the other hand excited to live, and that is introduction to the Bible. Huh. I've never taught that course. And there'll be freshman level students, and so it's my job to introduce them as a foundation for the rest of their four years at African Bible University. Did you tell these guys what you're teaching? <laughs> Phil, I'm going to leave now. Part of the genius of the scriptures is that we read about men and women in their everyday lives and their uh, successes and sadly sometimes their failures. Uh, and it's important to understand that that is the grace of God because he gives us these life stories in the scriptures so that we can profit. And that we can also be warned when we watch men uh, go in the way of danger. And that's exactly what we will uh, do this morning. Um, as you know, uh, Abram spent a little bit of time in Egypt and he, he failed there, did he not? Uh, but God taught him uh, that even in his failures, he's able to protect him and enrich him and bless him. So he leaves Egypt uh, a rich man, as this text so proclaims. And uh, because of God's blessings on Abram, Lot, his nephew, also leaves a rich man because of his uncle. Not because of himself, but because of his uncle. And so, Abram fails, but he uh, returns to uh, restart his journey in the Lord and to remind himself of the promises of God, uh, verses 1 to 4. Uh, in spite of Abram's less than stellar actions in Egypt, as I mentioned, God has blessed him, and he has learned that in spite of himself, in spite of his failures, that God protected him and uh, plagued uh, those who were about to trouble him. Uh, chapter 12, verse 17. He leaves enriched and returns in Bethel. As you know, he's already been to Bethel. Built an altar there. Chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, the Hebrew word is literally the house of God. So that as he travels through the land of Canaan with all the idolatry, he is acknowledging and claiming the land for God by building these altars and by worshiping God there. And at the altar, verse 4, he does something that I think in my own mind is very critical. He calls upon the Lord. We don't know the precise content. Moses doesn't tell us. Uh, but I suspect he's starting over after his failure and reaffirming his faith in God, reconnecting with the promises of God. Uh, I would suggest that he has a little bit of a sharper vision that the promises of God can hold him, irrespective of the circumstances of life. Contextually, he's also calling upon the Lord for help because the land is occupied. The Canaanites are in the land. Moses reminds us of that again. And we also learn in this particular context that there's trouble brewing. 
always trouble brewing. Uh, I would remind you that you should really wake up every day and call upon the grace of God because uh, I suspect trouble is is near at hand. But it's interesting to me that uh, he worships God where he is, and we should learn to worship God in all of the crises of life. Uh, I've learned that many times Christians, when they uh, encounter trouble, uh, uh, they begin to disconnect from God. Abram doesn't do that. He worships God, even though trouble is brewing. In your own life, you're going to encounter difficulties, successes, and failures. Regardless of them all, continue to worship God. Do not decouple from God, because he is sovereign over your circumstances. He knows what he's doing. He's wise. He's gracious and merciful. And he always protects his own. And those promises in and of themselves should hold you irrespective of the times. Here in verses 5 to 13, there's a conflict and a new test of faith. Always a test of faith. Part of every chapter of life. Uh, The test in verse 6 is that the land is unable to sustain the flocks of both Abram and Lot. The Hebrew text is literally, the land can't hold them up. It is interesting, is it not, that our great Redeemer teaches us to pray, Lord, this day give us our daily bread. Sometimes uh, we encounter difficulties, and uh, I don't know, maybe we think, well, our job can't sustain me. Uh, What I'm doing can't sustain me. And uh, perhaps you plan and do something else. I don't know, but the point is, the promises of God are always a provision because he keeps his own. And those things should indeed hold us, and we should worship God regardless of the times. Uh, We know again from the text, a reminder that the land is uh, crowded. But has that changed the promise of God? Is God surprised? Has God learned something? Does God now say, you know, Abraham, I'm sorry, I mean, I, I didn't know the Canaanites were in the land, and I didn't know that there was going to be a problem, so uh, uh, let me reconfigure my promise. No, God never does that. He doesn't have to do it because he's God. He knows where Abram is going. He knows there's problems. Uh, he's going to provide. Uh, here, um, we learn again that God promises to bless Abram. And yet there's conflict brewing with his nephew. Uh, one of the things I've learned about life, just as a quick lesson, sometimes we think, well, <laughs> I'm going to wake up tomorrow and the conflict's going to go away. It's probably not going to go away. It's all going to fester, uh, perhaps even get worse. Um, and that's exactly what happens. It gets worse. Uh, in verse 7, it's a very interesting Hebrew word. There was strife uh, between the herdsmen of uh, Abram's livestock and Lot's livestock. By the way, I'll remind you again, how was Lot enriched? Because of his association with his uncle. Uh, The word for strife is uh, uh, often used of legal disputes. It's a word we might use in our own culture of a lawsuit. 
it's used very prominently throughout the scripture of God's covenantal lawsuit against his children Israel for committing idolatry. In other words, he sues them. Here it's, again, strife. Uh, starts uh, with the herdsman, uh, moves from a simmer to a boil, and herdsmen to, uh, they're not brothers, but the text calls them brothers. Uh, how do you resolve the crisis? Not going to go away. Well, an act to me of remarkable faith. Abraham's learned. His life has to be a life of faith and trust in God. As the senior and the heir, he initiates the resolution. He becomes a peacemaker, doesn't he? Love the words of our great Redeemer. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's difficult when there's strife and trouble. Jesus tells us how to, one way to respond. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm also very fond of Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Uh, had I been Abram as the senior, as the one who was responsible for the blessings upon Lot, I would have just said, well, get out, Lot. Take your herds and go. You figure it out. Think of it this way. Imagine you're in a company with someone and there's lots of problems and you go to your partner and say, well, let's just divide, let's divide up. Um, you take 50 and I'll take 50 and I'm going to be gracious. You, you, you pick your, your, the customers you want. And lo and behold, what's he do? He picks the best customers of the entire company and leaves you with the marginal ones. The ones that pay, when your terms are net 30, they pay net 60 or net 90. The ones that uh, come and go. Can God provide for you in those times? Well, certainly he can. So in faith, he puts himself at risk. He says, Lot, you choose. Let's, let's read again verses 10 and 11. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw the land that was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from one another. There's a remarkable subtlety here that Moses is reminding us of some signal events in the book of Genesis. Lot saw. Think of Eve. She saw the tree. Think of Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God. They saw the beauty of the sons of men. And so Moses, in a very subtle way, is reminding us that Lot is setting himself in a way of danger. 
The tension is in appearance. And I would remind you as a Christian, we all have to deal with empirical facts in life. I mean, I understand that. But be very careful with making decisions solely based upon appearance. Because you and I uh, walk by faith and we use our minds and our reason and we also use God's divine revelation to give us wisdom. And I think Lot is something of a failure here because he takes the best for himself. I mean, he could have been somewhat equitable and said, you know, I'll, I'll take this good portion and then I'll, I'll let you have this good portion since you were generous to me to let me choose first. No, he takes the best for himself. I, I think in my mind he's something of the epitome of a taker while Abram was a giver. And I also would remind you that revelation, God's divine word is superior to empiricism. Plus, there's also something else that I think that's a powerful reminder of Lot's failure. He doesn't pray about it. He says, you know, my goodness, there's strife between uh, my brother, who's been very kind and gracious to me. He's the source of my enrichment in Egypt. Um, I'm going to ask God as to what I should do. No, he doesn't pray. He's a taker, takes the best for himself. And again, we're, we're to learn from his failure. I mean, you and I are prone to do exactly what Lot did. Oh, you give me first choice? I want the best. I don't need to pray. My senses tell me what to do. What Abram sees is, what does he get? The leftovers. But he knows that God will provide for him because he's learned that already in Egypt. And the promise of God to him in chapter 12 is meant to hold him even in difficult times. Even when he watches his nephew, whom he has enriched, take the best for himself. Uh, perhaps he knows something of the fact that God is sovereign over nature. And while he's been left uh, the fields that are maybe a bit brown and not so uh, rich with grass and not so well watered that God is able to bring rain. He knows that the promises of God to protect him and to keep and preserve him in some manner or form will provide for him. Reminded of the great story, uh, it's a beautiful story of uh, prophet Elijah, First Kings chapter 17, uh, because the nation of Israel has been committing idolatry, uh, God does what he's already told him, uh, the nation that he was going to do. He, he brings a drought on the land. It's an agricultural community. What's an agricultural community going to do when there's no rain? Month after month after month. And Elijah lives in the land. How he's going to provide? He's caught in the midst of the circumstance. First Kings chapter 17, verse 4, And shall be that you shall drink of the brook, now I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. The ravens. That's interesting. It's an unclean bird. Uh, God can use anything to provide for His people. Chapter uh, 17, verse 7 happened after a while that the brook dried up. You think, Elijah, oh, I knew, I knew God would fail me at some point. 
I knew it was too good to be true. Everyone else was thirsty. I had this little brook, and now it's dried up. Again, there's no rain. He's caught in the midst of it. Verse 9, God says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there, because I've commanded a widow to, to take care of you. A widow? Are you kidding me? A widow? Widows were... Uh, in most cases, impoverished. And this one, this one only has one more cruise of flour and a little bit of oil to make bread, and then she's going to starve to death. Verse 14, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. Remarkable miracle. God providing for Elijah as well as the widow. Because God keeps, keeps his own. And those promises should hold us like they're holding Abram. Came about after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Remarkable event of that story is who did Ahab worship? Baal. Baal was the storm god. What do storm gods do? They make rain. But the Baal, the god of Ahab, made no rain. Because there is no god named Baal. The true storm god is the god of heaven and earth. And God causes it to rain as a reminder to Israel that he's the storm god. And indeed it does rain. Because of the word of the Lord. And I know in our lives we sometimes encounter very difficult circumstances, many times not of our own choosing. And it turns all against us. Just remember, if God can take care of a widow and a prophet in the midst of a waterless land, and Abram, when his nephew takes the best, He can take care of you. And those promises are meant to hold us like they're holding Abram. The tragedy of Lot's lack of faith in my mind is serious. But a measure of the seriousness is a remarkable occasion for us to learn about his failure because it comes in very subtle stages. The text reads, he moves east to the Transjordan Valley, verse 11. In the book of Genesis, east is a sinister term of moving away from God. God drove Adam east out of Eden. He drove Cain east because it was away from God. In verse 12 of Genesis 13, uh, Lot, in his journey east, settles in the cities of the valley. In my own mind, the book of Genesis, uh, cities are sinister places. Not necessarily sinister in the rest of life and civilization or the scriptures, to be sure. But in Genesis, more often than not, cities are dangerous places. And now Lot has been moving away from God and he goes to the cities It's a reminder to us that you and I, in the world in which we live, in Oklahoma City this very day, 
July 2023. You and I are pilgrims passing through this land. I know we have stopping places. Oklahoma City, California. Uh, many of you at some point will displace from this city and go somewhere else. Um, but ultimately, you're a pilgrim moving through. You don't make your home here because your home is with God. We should be very careful about our attachments in life. I know we have to make them. Just be careful about them. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2, verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Remember that. We have to engage in the affairs of life. I get that. But be very careful of entanglements lest they slowly, like Lot, begin to steal your heart away from your loyalty and affection to the Lord. Moses tells us eventually that Lot will move into the city of Sodom. And that was certainly a dangerous and wicked place. He tells us here that they were exceedingly wicked. It's a figure of speech in the Hebrew text where two words are compressed to, to, uh, uh, to become one. And therefore, exceedingly wicked. Not just wicked, but exceedingly wicked. In fact, you and I know what the very word Sodom means and what comes from it. And that is a hint to us how bad it was there spiritually. Basis of actions that are reprehensible to God. And slowly but surely, Lot is putting himself in danger and we will soon learn that he, he moves into the city. Uh, Peter tells us in his second epistle, chapter 2, that Lot is a believer, but he's putting himself in dangerous ground. And sometimes Christians do that. They begin a journey. They move away from God. They decouple from God. And they go to places they really shouldn't go. And perhaps they do things they shouldn't do. Uh, Moses later tells us that the Lord will mount a rescue operation to deliver him from judgment. The city's going to be destroyed and Lot's going to escape with his life. With his life. Because of the grace of God. Remind you of a very famous sermon that our Savior preached. Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Because she was so attached to the city of Sodom that she had to take one last look and God immediately took her in judgment. Progression of Lot is a warning of spiritual drift. It has a way of taking on uh, momentum all its own. Uh, remind you that sin is not a static affair. You don't just commit a sin. Uh, if you... If you do not confess and repent, it's going to grow and grow and grow and begin to infest. So be careful. It's not a static affair. It's a dynamic event of life. It's a progressive event of life. I'm reminded of another great progression, the Scriptures. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the man who is blessed, he doesn't walk or stand or sit in the seat of the ungodly. Notice the progression, walk, stand, sit. 
you're kind of walking along with the wicked and then you stand to visit with them and then you take the seat in the place where they worship. It's the way sometimes life works. Be very careful of such progressions. There's also a subtle reminder here that while the cities appear beautiful to uh, Lot uh, and attractive to him as great places to move and to live, uh, God's able to change their appearance in judgment, which is exactly what he's going to do to the city of Sodom. I'd remind you that there's a great beauty here of faith. Faith is beautiful. And that we should cherish it because it, it does hold us. Uh, and the promises of God have, have held Abram and uh, he's been something of a success in the chapter before us, teaching us, reminding us of the actions of others. Verses 14 to 18, the word of the Lord reaffirms his promise. All of us need reaffirmation in life. Uh, we do that, for example, those of you who are blessed with uh, a wife, you, you reaffirm, do you not? Don't you celebrate um, signal events in your life, like the day you were, you were married, or your engagement, uh, and God's going to come and reaffirm his promises. He know Abram is shaken. You and I would be shaken. Dad gummit, my nephew took the best. Are you kidding me? Leaves me with the worst? And I'm the cause of his being enriched? No, God's going to come and say it's going to be okay. He reaffirms himself to his son, Abram. Some time passes and faith must often wait upon the Lord. Uh, remind you that very often in Scripture, uh, the Hebrew parallel to the New Testament word perseverance is the word to wait. Yeah. Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep His way and He will exalt you to inherit the land. In verse 14, the Lord says to Abram, the word comes. It's the genius of the Scriptures. I would remind you in my own tradition of the faith, the word of God's not going to come to you except in your Bible. And you come to read it, to study it, to apprehend it, uh, to be illumined by it by faith. The word comes. For us, it's in Scripture. And God confirms to him the promise previously given in chapter 12. The beauty of God reminding his son of his promises to hold his son, even though uh, appearance is against him. He tells him to look to the four corners of the compass. Then he has him walk through the land. Uh, you and I need reminders of this too. Uh, I believe, ultimately, I'll share this in a moment, that it's a reminder that heaven is ours. We have the deed. We haven't taken possession of it yet. We have the deed to it. Abraham is the deed to the land, even though he has, has not the possession of it. It's the same with us. We have the deed to heaven in Jesus Christ. 
but we're not there yet. And you and I need reminders too. Scriptures are full of them. How does Abram respond? <laughs> Times are tough. All he has is the promise of God. His nephew takes the best. What's he do? He builds another altar and worships God. Times get difficult. What should you do? Go to church. Worship God. Don't decouple. Don't do like a lot of people I know. Well, if God's going to treat me that way, I'll show him. No. He'll do the showing. Continue to trust in the Lord. Let the promises of God hold you because He keeps His own. He never forgets them. He knows their estate. He knows that we are frail and weak. Wait upon Him. Trust Him. Persevere. And the promises of God will hold you and uphold you. Abram builds another altar in Hebron. Literally, he's claiming the land for God. And he worships God because he knows that God delivers on his promises and makes possible the impossible. The altar is also a witness that the land belongs to God and that someday the interlopers and the squatters will be displaced and kicked out. True of us. The world is filled with wicked men and women. They breathe God's air and they don't thank Him for it. They eat His food. They act as if it comes because they're smarter than anyone else. He gives them minds and good minds and they prosper in business or in agriculture and whatever their endeavors in life. And they don't thank God. And because they know not the Son of God, He will kick them out of the land. And heaven will be denied them. It's another reason we wait patiently, because God will take care of the wicked. The ultimate reminder of this text has its greatest fulfillment uh, in you and me. Because you and I are just like Abram, going through the land. We have the deed. <laughs> well, God, make it so uh, calm, difficult. Because the land promises, in my mind, are typological of eternal life and the new heavens and the new earth. And they really belong to us in Jesus Christ. God's going to remake this earth. The most beautiful places in America I've ever been, and I haven't been everywhere, as most of you know, but Glacier National Park. It's incredible. I'd live there. I'd maybe move out in wintertime, but I mean, it's a staggeringly beautiful National Park holds nothing to heaven and the glory of eternal life. It's just a twinkling in the eye of this earth that we will get even better. Maybe for you it's somewhere else. I, I don't know. Um, the beaches of California, cheap change. Beaches of Panhandle, Florida, the best I've ever seen in America. Chump change to what God's going to do for us because of Christ. Uh, it is hard to wait. But we know from the book of Hebrews, very interesting if you'd like to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Um, the reality is that Abram was looking beyond the land for a heavenly city. 
in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10, that the author says, whose foundation and architect and builder is God. God is building a home for us, and he's done so in Jesus Christ. Abram was looking at the land, but he was really looking beyond the land for a city whose builder and architect was a living God. I know some of you build homes in life, and uh, you, you buy some land, and, and you, you're going to build a home, and more often than not, you hire an architect. And you tell the architect, this is the way I want it. This is the beauty I want to see. Uh, and, and the architect says, you know what, that's not going to work for you. Well, let me show you a better way. Well, forget all that. Where you and I are going to live in eternity, God has made it. He's the architect. He's the builder. The fullness of wisdom and uh, all knowledge and glory is perfecting the home for us. In verse 16, again, Hebrews chapter 11, look at the text, reminding us of the beauty God has for us. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. That's, that's cementing the reality that Abram was looking beyond the land a heavenly land. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. For you and me, it's the new Jerusalem coming out of the heavens, book of the Revelation, in beauty that we cannot imagine. Paul tells us that. I have not seen nor ear heard what God has for those who hope and trust in him through Jesus Christ. Prepared a city for us. Typological. In a sense, you and I are just like Abram, journeying through. Saying, I'm going to get better. As beautiful as Glacier National Park is, I'll get better. Because of my Savior. Uh, remind you, if you're not a Christian, uh, the only way to that is the door who is Christ. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And I'll tell you something that's true in my own life and I know true in the life of every other Christian here. The Good Shepherd always delivers on His promises so they can hold you. They should hold you. They must hold you. They will hold you until He comes for us in glory. And I would also remind you of something that's just as important. We will not be disappointed because God delivers and therefore, we must wait for him and watch him provide for us in this fallen world. For ultimately, he will translate us out of this fallen world into eternal glory because of Christ. It's a lesson in part that Abraham teaches us. Learn the lesson, though, that Lot has taught us as well. Be very careful with sin. Be very careful of a slow journey of drift because it's dangerous. And hold fast. And um, God in his time will break upon you in eternal glory and everlasting life and the glory of the city of Jerusalem. And you will say, as all of the saints have said before you, it was worth the wait. 